This is loose. I don't know if this is going to stay on or not. Can we just pick up from the pulpit mic? Will that work? Okay. Thank you. First, uh, I need to correct something that uh, I misspoke this morning. I was told after the service was over that I had announced that Steve and Craig uh, had a baby. That's Stephanie. I hope everybody realizes that. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't Steve and Craig, and that's important as we consider tonight's study, but uh, <laughs> Stephanie and Craig Oakley had a child this week, and also I was told just before the service began that uh, Mindy Hostetter gave birth this afternoon, uh, 1236, uh, 6 pounds, 13 ounces, and 18 inches long, Madison Ann Hostetter. So congratulations to Minnie and uh, Isaac and relatives. Uh, It's a great day, and we're pleased for them. So let's just pray and give thanks. Our Father, we thank you for uh, Mindy and for Isaac and for uh, this wonderful gift that you have given to them. Uh, We pray for um, Madison, that she would come to know you as Lord and Savior at a young age. Watch over and protect her and keep her. Thank you for sound mind and body, and we just pray your blessing upon this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing this study on what does righteousness look like. We're moving kind of slowly, but I'm building to a, a point, and uh, I've put here, in seeking to be righteous, we need to manifest moral purity of all kinds as well as social justice. I've been talking about how there's almost a generational divide of an older generation thinking more about righteousness, thinking about moral purity and uh, highlighting moral issues as being the most important, the most significant, and uh, probably among those, uh, homosexuality as being the most egregious, and the younger generation thinking more about social justice issues, of uh, inequities, of oppression, of all the injustices that are being manifest in the world. And what I'm trying to do is bring those two thoughts together and say the scripture is concerned about both. Both are important, and uh, we uh, must not uh, just emphasize the one at the um, cost of the other. Um, It's a tendency down through the ages for the church to address sins that most often are not that prevalent within its walls. Okay, so, uh, you know, for a generation that practiced a great deal of moral purity, that was a great emphasis uh, to lay, and not much was said about social justice issues, and that was just kind of winked at. Uh, now there's a lot being said about the social justice issues, and that's, that's good. Uh, but uh, part of that is because there's a lot of sexual immorality. So uh, these things need to be both addressed, and they, they need to be concerned. But as we look at Psalm and Gomorrah, uh, we're revisiting that again. And we looked at Ezekiel 16:49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. I'm going to lay 
out uh, the idea that that is a root sin and these other things are more the fruit sin. In other words, that that is at the very base of what is wrong and the homosexuality and all the other stuff flows out of that. It's a, it's a gross lack of concern for others and that manifests itself in a host of different ways. So the theme tonight is a case study of righteousness and the life of Abraham. Righteousness and the life of Abraham. A look at righteous Abraham. God chose Abraham, according to Genesis 18, 19, for I have chosen him. Abraham was to have children. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God chose Abraham so that he would teach his children to be righteous. For I have chosen him. Why? That he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Now, he did not choose him because he would command his children, but he chose him with the intent that he would command his children. It's not giving us the basis for the choice. It's giving us the purpose or the outcome of the choice. Why God set his hand upon Abraham was so that he would command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. This instruction is to be accomplished by modeling personal righteousness and justice. For notice it says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So those two ideas come together. Righteousness and justice. In so doing... God's plan would be fulfilled so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What God's plan for Abraham was, was that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the world through him and his descendants. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So it was God's intent to bless Abraham so that he in turn would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That was to be accomplished through his descendants. Now most notably, of course, it is that future descendant, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is going to be from Abraham's line, and of course he is going to be the savior of the world. So that is ultimately in view. But you can't miss all of the preceding generations that lead up to Christ. In each succeeding generation, it was God's intent that the descendants of Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. And with that in mind, we should also understand that God saves us with the intent of not just ushering us into heaven, which is a reality and it's a great joy and a delight, but we should also understand that he saved us in order to be a blessing to the nations. And that includes, of course, sharing the gospel with others, but that also includes issues of social justice. We are to be a source of blessing to those around us. This would begin by having a child with his wife, Sarah. 
Notice the emphasis, Genesis 18, 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Here we see a part of this this moral purity. Here's this moral responsibility that God is going to work through Sarah, his wife, and their descendant. Now, of course, he already has a child, but it's not by his wife. It's by his handmaid. And that's not the child that God is going to use to bring a blessing to the world and to accomplish his purpose. He is going to use a child of Abraham's wife. Application. Righteousness begins with an understanding that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. We are not to selfishly hoard our blessings, no matter whether they be blessings, whether those blessings be material or spiritual. It begins by taking it to heart to love others. It is accomplished initially by rearing our children to live righteously and justly for the sake of others. And I underline that and put it in bold. Okay, Because whatever we think about, whatever we are teaching our children, we should be teaching them that the reason that they live righteously and the reason that they are to practice social justice is not just selfishly. It's not just for their benefit. It's ultimately for the glory of God and the betterment of all mankind. And I don't think that's usually how righteousness is taught. I definitely don't think that that's how moral purity is taught. Most often, we talk about moral purity for the sake of the child, for their benefit. Okay, You want to live a pure life so that you don't get some sexually transmitted disease. You want to live a moral life so that you don't bring hardship and heartache to your life. You want to live a moral life so that you don't have an unwanted pregnancy. You don't want to live an immoral life because you don't want to ruin your life. That's all well and good, but that's not sufficient. We need to understand how when we live an immoral life, it affects more than just the individual. Okay? It just blows out of the water that whole argument of this is my body, I can do with it as I please. It only affects me. It doesn't. It doesn't. It affects the extended family. It, ext- it affects the church. And it ultimately, yes, affects even the community and the world. The first step in living righteously is that we understand the reason to live righteously is to glorify God and to be a blessing to others. The first step in changing our world is changing ourselves and our families. So that I'm going to be talking about how are we going to bring a change to our nation, how are we going to bring a change to our world. It starts with us. It starts with our families. It starts with practicing personal righteousness and social justice. It doesn't start out there. It starts back here. So a 
Conversely, for our children not to live righteously has a negative effect on our family, our church, our society, our nation, and yes, even our world. Next week, I'm going to talk more about the spread. The spread of immorality. And it will come out of this. Number two, a look at Abraham's righteousness and justice display. We looked at this verse last week, well, two weeks ago, last week was Fellowship Sunday, in connection with Lot. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. We talked about how that really applies to Lot and this aspect that God is a consuming fire, but Lot was blessed by entertaining these angels, showing hospitality, being willing to take them in, giving them food and clothing, giving them food and protection. This morning, we inducted elders into the life of the church. One of the qualifications for an elder is that they are to be given to hospitality. That seems like a trivial thing, but in the scriptures, that is a mark of of righteousness. Abraham righteously showed hospitality to the angels, Genesis 18.1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. This is Abraham. He, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, small uh, letters, okay, I have found favor in your sight. Do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought. Wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on. Since you have come to your servant, so they said, do as you have said. So just rest here. Be refreshed. And then you can go. They said, do as you said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. This isn't just to give us a story about the eating habits of Abraham. It is to show us that Abraham is a righteous individual who cares for strangers. When these strangers get to to Sodom, nobody will take them in except Lot. Because Lot is righteous. It goes back to this very statement in Ezekiel that says that their sin was pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and they did not aid the poor or the needy. Abraham did. In showing hospitality to these angels, he was greatly blessed. Remember, Lot righteously provides shelter, food, and protection for the strangers. And they said, my lords, please 
Turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night. Wash your feet, then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. This was a part of righteousness. Abraham manifested justice by interceding for the city of Sodom and seeking their preservation. It was Abraham's calling to be concerned for the nation's well-being. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? He's going to destroy the city of Sodom. And God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Should, Should I inform Abraham that I'm going to destroy this city? Well, what business is it of Abraham? What concern is it of Abraham if Sodom is going to be destroyed? Notice, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations shall be blessed in him. That's the reason. Because God called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations, he said, well, I ought to tell Lot, I ought to tell Abraham that Lot, that the uh, city of Sodom is going to be destroyed. He doesn't tell him just because Lot lives there. He doesn't tell them this just because Lot and his family live there. He tells them because it is relevant, because he is to be a blessing to all the nations. So what does a righteous Lot do? Man, I'm really having problems here. I'm sorry. What does a righteous Abraham do? in light of the fact that he is to be a blessing to all the nations. Answer, he intercedes. Abraham, in keeping with his calling, intercedes for the city of Sodom. Abraham is concerned with both the physical and spiritual needs of others. Genesis 18, 22. So the men turned aside there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? He's not just concerned for the sparing of the righteous. He says, well, will you spare the whole city? Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right. From this passage, we learn that the presence of believers in the world has a preserving influence upon it. And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I am undertaking to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to them and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of the 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it. I will find, if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I'll speak again, but this once more. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. It is the city. The it is the city. 
He's interceding not just for Lot. He's saying, if, if, I can, if there are only ten righteous people, will you spare the city of Sodom? And God says, if there are ten righteous people in Sodom, I'll spare the whole city. I'll spare the whole city. From this passage, we learn that there were not even ten righteous people in Sodom. That's how thoroughly wicked the city was. There weren't ten righteous people there. We know that because God said if if there were ten, he'd spare it. The problem in Sodom was not just a problem with the male population, Genesis 19.4. But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. Now notice the way in which this is depicted, verse 4. The men of the city, just so you know who we're talking about, the men of Sodom. It wasn't just a generational thing, both young and old. It wasn't just a few. All people to the last man surrounded the house. Okay, It's saying every male came out that night and was gathered around the house. And that's usually our emphasis. But the problem extended to all the inhabitants, including the women who were not gathered around that door. There is no reference to any women gathered around that door that night. That doesn't mean they were absolved. That doesn't mean that they were innocent. That doesn't mean that they were righteous. That doesn't mean that their behavior or conduct was acceptable. Because obviously there were women in this city and you couldn't find ten righteous people. Now look at Ezekiel's 16.49 again. And I want you to look at, and this is why it's so important that you look at every word in every verse, because it's so easy to overlook something. So Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. It's talking about the women of Sodom. She and her daughters. I said that the the tendency is to to read this back into uh, Genesis 19 and look at this whole situation at the door, but this points us to the women, the daughters, all of Sodom was corrupt. All of Sodom was corrupt. The problem was greater than this homosexuality, okay? And even if you look at the homosexuality, it's greater than that because it, it extends to rape, it extends to brutality, uh, it extends to all kinds of things, okay? But I'm just trying to point out here that, that it's much bigger than what we usually think of. So three, the problem was greater than just homosexuality. That was a leaf sin, not a root sin. 
There is something that underlies, and that's where I'm headed with this. I'm looking for underlying root sins that the Bible speaks about. Okay, is homosexuality bad? Yes, but it is a leaf sin, as are all the other sexual sins. Four, the incestuous relationship that the daughters had to Lot was just as destructive as all that had taken place in Sodom. Genesis 19.30, now Lot went up out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that he may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son, and they called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Okay, where did the Moabites come from? Where did the Ammonites come from? They're descendants of Lot. They're the descendants of this incestuous relationship. They are going to be the cause of great misery and heartache for generations to come. This incestuous relationship didn't just affect Lot and his two daughters. It affected, as I say, Israel for generations to come. Numbers 23.7, Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought, me the, uh, has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. And Moab sought to curse Israel. Conclusion. First, righteousness must manifest itself in both moral purity and social justice. We just can't be concerned for one or the other. Okay, so righteousness starts with loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. And the second is loving our neighbor as ourself. So righteousness is loving God and loving our neighbor. Okay, both of which have to do with moral purity and social justice. We are to honor God with our bodies. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, we find in 1 Corinthians. So we honor and glorify God through sexual purity, but we also serve one another in sexual purity. We're being concerned for our future spouse. We're being concerned about our families. We're being concerned about our church. We're concerned about the influence that we have, the impact that we're, we are going to place upon others, the example that we set. 
the heartache we create, the hardship that is manifested. B. In what ways were cities in Israel worse than Sodom itself? It says that they were, they were worse. I haven't decided yet. I don't know uh, if you're getting bored with this or this is becoming too tedious. Okay? I, let me take a vote. I don't often do this. Okay? Let me take a vote. I can skip to C, why had the sin in Sodom spread so thoroughly and completely? And then D, why is sin sweeping our own society? This, I'm laying out the progression here. Okay, Why had sin so swept the city of Sodom? And I'm finally going to get up to today. And why is sin spreading? And I'm going to be talking about homosexuality. I don't believe that just more people are coming out of the closet. I don't think it is just that people are becoming bolder to proclaim what always existed under the rug. I think that there is a progression. I think that there are more people today that are practicing homosexuality than there was a generation or two ago. And I'm going to explain why I think that is the case. But you see, we're, we're, we're far beyond homosexuality. We're into bisexuality, okay, which takes us into issues that are, that are more than just purely genetics. Okay, we're, we're talking about issues that are, that are far more than physical makeup here. Okay, and you can argue what you want for, for that, and there's a place to argue that, I think, to some degree. But, uh, but it's much, much more than that. It's much, much more than that. And uh, why is that? That's where I'm heading. And then what can we do about it? So uh, my next step was I was going to go to the judges and look at the city of Gibeah. If many of you remember that, that's the story where the uh, Levite goes and his concubine and he chops her up in 12 pieces and sends her out. Remember that story? Okay. Um, that fits into this whole understanding that what is happening in Lot and what is happening in Gomorrah is happening in other cities in Israel and even among the Israelites themselves. And that's the whole story of Gibeah. So, how many want me to go there? Or not? Or the choice is, do we look at that next week or do we skip it and move on? Okay? So, how many would like us to look at that? Raise your hand. Put them down. How many would like us to skip that? Okay. I see about four hands. So, uh, we're going to go there. Okay, we're going to look at that and uh, lay that that foundation, but what, what I want you to see is that righteousness isn't just doing the big and flamboyant thing. Righteousness isn't just feeding the poor of the world 
Righteousness includes feeding the poor of the world, but righteousness includes feeding your neighbor. It includes feeding the stranger. It includes being hospitable. It includes having people over. At bottom line, bottom line, righteousness is about caring about other people's situation. Giving them food is one aspect of it. Giving them shelter is another aspect of it. Protecting them is another aspect of it. Treating people fairly is another aspect of it. Welcoming people in our presence is another aspect of it. There are so many different ways in which we need to show concern and compassion for others. Being concerned about their situation, being concerned about their needs, being concerned about their lifestyle, being concerned about people. That is key to being righteous. And being concerned with bringing honor and glory to God. And living our lives in such a way that God's mercy and love and purity and holiness is put on display. And you can't make those things argue against each other. It's not choosing A or B. It's doing both. It is manifesting a complete righteousness of loving God and loving others the way that we should. If we can deal with the root sins... We will starve the leaves and they will fall off. Where I'm heading is the major problem with America is not homosexuality. There's a root that's far worse. And if we deal with the root We'll deal, with the, we'll deal with the homosexuality. We'll deal with the other things. But we've got to get to the root. I'll get there. I promise you, well, I can't promise I could be dead tomorrow. But by God's grace, uh, we'll get there uh, as we, we think about this. But I, I really want to lay a foundation. Let's pray.